Alright, here we go. Take one. <laughs> Theories on the reason why people choose to use drugs is vast, as the medical field may define it as a reward deficiency syndrome, as this can be related to self-medicating, such as you know living in a world of loneliness or a world where they don't feel wanted, nurtured, or even close to their family, society, even to this world. You know, as COVID-19 has been taking the lives of people close to us, we've been required to separate ourselves from everyone. And when someone dies in the hospital, they're alone. And a lot of them are unable to have any physical contact or comfort as these people pass away. Well, my guest today brings something that is and I guess you could probably say looked down upon by some or even viewed as awkward by many. How important is human touch? Is there information that can back up cuddling as a therapeutic tool? Well, we're going to find out today. Please. My name is Eric McCoy, and welcome back to High Wall Clean. You know, according to Aristotle, human beings are social animals and therefore naturally, you know, seek the companionship of others as part of their well being. Physical contact distinguishes humans from other animals, you know, from a handshake, a hug, or, you know, a pat on the back we have developed an emotional expression through physical contact. You know, I was thinking hard on this when I was working to, you know, put this podcast together with my guest today. And I was thinking about, you know, with not only COVID, but with all of our technology, <laughs> we have, um, we are sort of moving into this world where human touch is really in danger of becoming rare, if probably not obsolete. You know, it's vital to preserve human touch in order, I believe, for us truly to thrive. You know, there were a lot of stories where people became unrecognizable in the absence of touch. I'm going to tell a quick story real quick. About 200 years ago, and this was one of the stories I came across, there were French scientists. Now, I don't, you know, there's some debate on whether this is all a true story, but they determined, they, they had found an 11-year-old boy, and this kid was actually later adopted, and he was given the name Victor. And this boy had basically run wild in the forest for a lot of his childhood. And the scientists eventually concluded that he had been deprived of human physical touch, which had probably 
retarded his social and his developmental capacities. Now, my guest today, and her name is Epiphany. And so she brings an epiphany to this story. And I love this. Her name is Epiphany Jordan. And she is the author of Somebody Hold Me, uh, The Single Person's Guide to Nurturing Human Touch. And she has a business, Karuna Sessions, which we're going to find out what that is, that is located in Austin, Texas. You know, in our communication that we had had, uh, she had informed me and kind of put in there that our culture currently considers touch between adults as romantic or sexual instead of part of health and of wellness. And she said it's a paradigm that isn't working for a lot of single and partnered people. Now, for those that know me, I love ideas. And Epiphany is going to bring about something radical and unique in what could possibly be a healing process. Epiphany, I want to thank you for joining me today. Thank you so for much for inviting me and for that's a magnificent introduction. That was good. Thank you. So let's talk about touching. All right. Yeah, let's talk about this. Let's get right into it. <laughs> that right out of the gate sounds wrong, but I am about destroying stigmas. You know, this awesome. let, us, let us get high sounds weird to some, but here we are. High while clean. So tell me a little bit about your theories and your ideas about the power of human touch? Well, I think, I think the place that we have to start, I mean, the, the, this is a conversation that could go all over the place, but um, human beings evolved with, with, with touch. It's in our DNA. Um, you know, when we were cavemen, we slept in big piles for warmth and safety, and you had to have your um, tribe members, your clan members close to you in order to survive. Um, you know, through the ages that remained true as well. Um, I mean, like if you had grown up in a cold climate, even a hundred years ago, you probably would have found your entire family sleeping in one bed in the winter to keep from freezing to death. And we also, without human touch, our young will not thrive or survive like the, about the first 18 to 22 months of our lives, our brains are forming all these different neurological pathways. And they found that, you know, human touch can make the difference between, um, you know, whether you're calm, you're able to regulate your emotions, you can form attachments to other humans. And, you know, when we don't, when, when babies don't get that, all sorts of uh, different things can happen um, in terms of depression, addiction, anxiety, all, all these different things, you know, lack of ability to, to form romantic connections, what have you. And so um, it's pretty well documented and there's a fair amount of research on touch for infants and babies, but we haven't done a ton of it. There's a little bit of it out there, but we haven't done a ton of it about how it can help adults. Mm -hmm. And so I'm on a mission right now to redesign human touch. Like you said, this paradigm of 
uh, equating touch with romantic or sexual relationships between adults doesn't work for a lot of people. Um, and when we relegate touch specifically to those sorts of relationships, there's none available for support or comfort or relaxation or, um, you know, just physical rest. And um, I think that's not serving most of us well and that we need to switch it around a little bit. Yeah, kind of, you know, when I was talking about the story of Victor, it sort of, you know, kind of reminds me a little bit also of, you know, we talk about like feral children and reminds me of the story of the movie of Nell, right, with Jodie Jody Foster mm-hmm. and how when she was ultimately brought in, just the touch, just the touch of people, she started screaming and, and could not handle, you know, because it's something that she was never used to. Yeah, I, I think that it's, it's such an individual thing. I mean, when you and I talked last week, we talked about this a little bit, but there's, there's so many different factors that go into how you were raised as one of them, Uh, your religious upbringing, your culture, your personal biology and neurology, uh, you know, your relationships, your, your gender, all, there's so many different factors that go into it. And um, it's just, it's such an individual thing. And there are a lot of people who, who don't like touch, who don't need touch for various reasons. You know, some of them, it's a biological thing. And then other people have had such horrifying experiences around touch, around getting touch that they don't want that, um, they just shut it all down. So the consent piece is very important as well. If you had asked me on the phone, you know, about like my thoughts on or my experiences based on touch and, you know, based on maybe my upbringing and I didn't grow up. I mean, I grew up with a loving family, but I didn't grow up with a family that was a hugging family or, you know, did a lot of touching in that aspect. And then, of course, I got heavily into drugs, which sort of removed me even further. Um, I'm not opposed to a hug or, you know, things like that, Um, but it's not a necessity for me. Yeah. At least that's the way I feel. Do you um, do you have a partner that uh, provides touch to you or for you? I do. I'm I'm married. Okay. uh, and I have a wife and it is actually one of the the topics that comes up. She's, she's much more of that cuddling wants to, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and I love my wife to death. Um, I will definitely, you know, do it, uh, but not as much as she would like. Yeah. I actually, um, one of the, one of my projects that I'm hoping to get to this year is to, the, you know, the first book I wrote was for single people because, you know, if you're single, there's, you know, there's really no way or there's very few ways to get that sort of touch, you know, beyond just a hug, hello or goodbye, if you have friends who are like that. But um, I want to write a book about non-sexual touch for couples, you know, because there's a lot of couples out there where it's like, I, I mean, it sounds like you and your wife have incredibly good communication around that and that you recognize the differences. But for a lot of couples, you know, when, uh, when one half of the couple wants more touch than the other one, like non-sexual touch. And, you know, 
because they have they're stuck in that paradigm of sex equal equals touch as well. Um, you know, a lot of people will just shut down because anytime their partner touches them, they're like, Oh, they want to have sex. And I don't really want that right now. So, um, you know, it becomes this thing that's, that's very fraught and, you know, hence my thing that it's not a good paradigm for people who are partnered as well. And it does, I, I think it's a really good thing for couples who are in romantic relationships to, consider it as something that's separate from their, uh, you know, from their sexual relationship. You know, it's like you can have touch without sex. You can't necessarily have sex without touch, but you know, this idea that, Oh, you know, we can, we can touch each other and it doesn't necessarily have to lead to, you know, getting naked and rolling around on bed on the bed, um, you know, is a pretty mind blowing idea for a lot of people, I think. But it can also, it's also one of those things like my ex and I used to do that. Like if we were really stressed out, like one or the other of us would lay down and just do light touch. And usually by the end of it, we were in the mood, but you know, it was a good transitional thing. And, and then sometimes not, sometimes it would just be like, oh, okay, I'm really relaxed and I feel really good now. Thank you for calming me down. So. Yeah. In the recovery world, hugging is a big thing that, you know, everybody always thought you go to 12 step meetings um, and maybe you could actually explain the, the power, you know, of what people may experience by doing this. I mean, this is, you know, I'm again, one of the people that, you know, if I can go to 12 step meetings, I'm not the one that's running around hugging everybody. Uh-huh. Um, but there are a lot of people that do, and it isn't sexual, you know, by nature uh-huh. at all. Um, and what do you think that, what do you think is happening? by that you know one of one of the most innate human drives that we have is to feel like we belong that we matter that we're important that we're seen that we're understood that we're part of a group um and touch is you know human touch when you touch another person it's physical tangible connection and again, it's that it's that thing where it's hardwired in our biology, you know, where it's like somebody, you know, somebody wants to to hug me. I'm actually curious. Um, do you feel like it when you go to meetings and you're not the person who's hugging people? Do you do you have to say no to people and do they respect that no? Or do you have a lot of people who are just like, oh no, I'm going to give you a hug and I don't care what you think? Well, for me, and a lot of this comes from my you know, from practice. So I'm a counselor, I'm a teacher. (laughs) And as a clinician, right, working in a treatment industry, I, you know, I've been clinical director, I've been program director, executive director, you know, of different programs. And it's a battle that I've gone through with a lot of my staff, uh, because of interpretation, you know, um, we always have to keep a separation from our, from our clients. Um, nothing can ever be interpreted as being sexual. Now, people early in recovery, you know, come from, a, okay, I'm addicted to drugs. So there's a dependency. Now I want to move over to people. <laughs> right, right. Is, you know, yeah. that is a battle that we go through with clients because you got a male and a female client that may be in the same program and then they just want to sleep with each other. Right. <laughs> and so I think for, you know, for me, um, you know, 
with the fact that I don't need that, or at least I felt that I don't need that. Um, and then also being a counselor and being, you know, a director that that is a habit for me too. Right. Uh, that, and I've had clients come like, Hey, can I give you a hug? No, I would give one hug to a client and it's the time that they complete and they leave the program. Mm-hmm. And that was always my rule was that, you know, once you complete, I give you a hug, good job. And now you, now you go. <laughs> right. Cause I don't ever want it to be interpreted. Right. Wrong. You know, and the hugs would always be with other people. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I wonder if some of your female clinicians perhaps have a harder time with having their nose heard. You know, I mean, there is a, a gendered thing, you know, and you're, you're coming at it from a position of authority and, you know, there's other, there's other situations where let's say you were the director of a program and you were a really touchy feely huggy person where the patient might not be able to feel like they could say no if you ask them for a hug because you know you're somebody who's up above them. I mean, it's it's really a, a, a tricky and delicate thing. I mean, it's it the the communication around it is you know you can you can learn how to do it, but we don't learn how to do it, and we're not taught how to do it. And um, you know, people people don't have that understanding. It's like touch means something different to everybody and you know I think I think too you know I think part of the time you you see you know like you were talking about the two people in recovery who meet in a program and they want to sleep together you know I mean when you think about it it, it's like if the only way that you can get that touch is through sex then you know it's like what are you what are you going to do I mean like uh even before the pandemic started I got out of a long-term relationship about three years ago. And I mean, I have a few friends that I can go to, you know, who know me and know what I do. And I can be like, Hey, will you come over and cuddle with me? But, you know, I mean, I get a lot less touch now than I did when I was in a a relationship, you know, I had that for five years. And now that I don't, I'm like, Hmm, this isn't, you know, this isn't so good. So people who don't necessarily have that larger frame of reference or, you know, that, Hey, touch can be for different things. You know, it's like, of course they're going to dive in. I mean, you know, I, I love sex. I think sex is great, but I think that there's probably a lot of people out there who might engage in hookup sex, not necessarily because they want the sex, but because that's the only way that they can get touch. So, so you do what's called room session. So what is, a Karuna session is, I we call it immersive touch therapy, and it's a ritual of human connection. It's done with two practitioners, which takes people out of that idea of, um, you know, when you have a one-on-one, like if you went to see a professional cuddler, it would be a lot easier to misconstrue that it's a romantic situation. But with two two practitioners and one client, they're like, oh, okay, this is this is really different here. So it's a ritual of human connection and the client would come into our space and sit down and um, one of us would come out and bless them and then they'd shift and the other person would wash their feet. We'd have them meditate. We'd have them change into ritual garments. They'd come back out and 
we'd um, kind of do a rundown of boundaries and ground rules and, you know, telling them how we were going to proceed, finding out if there was, like, if they had any injuries that we needed to know about or a part of their body that they just didn't want to have touched. And we would have them lay down on the bed and do very, very light synchronized touch to be, you know, the two, me and the other practitioners. So, you know, like we'd be touching the person's hand like this at exactly the same time, you know, and it's, um, it's kind of interesting because, you know, it stimulates the right brain and the left brain at the same time. And it's like, you know, how, when you're getting, I don't know, have you ever had a massage from two people, like a four hands massage? No, you're like, that sounds horrible. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's like when you're getting a massage in, you know, you have one person giving you a massage, you can be like, Oh, okay. Right now that person's massaging my right shoulder. But when you have two people working on you, it's like, your brain can't really follow what's going on. And, you know, it's like it can't delineate. And I think after a time, it just kind of gives up and it allows you to get more into your body. So we do very light touch on the person's hands, head, face, shoulders and arms, feet, legs, um, belly and heart. And then we would roll them over and do a little bit of light touch on their back. And then Uh, the meat of the session was we would put the client on their side and cuddle them in between us. So they were held in between two people. And it feels like being held by your mother as an infant and your body goes, Oh, I know what this is. You know, I know this feeling I'm, I'm safe. I'm cared for. I'm, I'm loved. I don't have to worry about anything because somebody else is uh, taking care of me. And so we would do that for them for about 20 minutes and, at the end, they'd be asleep or a puddle of jello on the bed and we'd get up and tuck them in with a blanket and give them a few minutes to kind of let their body, um, their muscle memory reset with that. And then we'd get them up, ask them to change and have them meet us on the couch for tea and cookies and send them on their ways. And how do they feel afterwards? relaxed, blissful, um, grounded. Um, one of the things that I found so amazing, I've been like, hmm, maybe we should like market this as a beauty treatment because people would look about 10 years younger. There was, there was always this point um, that I could find in a session where it was probably about seven minutes into the cuddling part where I just, you just kind of felt the person let go, like all these little micro muscles in their body would just, and, um, you know, I, the, the one word that I generally use to describe people after their session was relieved. Hmm. Um, you know, I mean, we, you know, we worked on people like we used to get referrals sometimes from sex therapists. So, Um, You know, like we worked with people who were late life virgins, you know, people in their 50s or 60s who had never had sex, Um, people who were getting divorced, um, you know, or had gone through a bad breakup and they were grieving. Um, You know, sometimes it was just people who were, uh, you know, they had a lot of responsibility in their life and they just wanted to be able to let go and not think about things and let somebody take care of them. Um, veterans really loved us. Actually, the, the 
demographic that really, really, really loved our sessions the most that I was really surprised about was new mothers, you know, because we're doing for them what they're doing for their babies all the time. So it's like, they've got all of this nurturing energy that just goes out all the time. And we're like, here, let us make a deposit into your nurturing bank, you know, so it's like, we would give to them what they were giving to their babies. And then it kind of, you know, it gave them the opportunity to you know, go back and feel a little bit more refreshed because it wasn't just this one way, you know, it wasn't just give, 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 give. It was, it allowed them to receive as well. All right. We got to step back. I got a question here. Life, lifelong abstainers of sex. Not necessarily lifelong abstainers, you know, just people like lifelong virgins, you know, they just never had an opportunity, you know, maybe they were, unpopular and attractive or shy or you know there's there's lots of reasons why you know people don't don't always get to connect sexually you know maybe when they were in high school and you know everybody was running around with their hormones maybe they just weren't feeling it like they really wanted um you know they wanted it in the context of a committed partnership and they didn't have that opportunity or um you know, there's lot, there's lots of reasons. Now, how many, do you ever get people that come in that have a different agenda? (laughs) You know, it's funny that you say that because, um, you know, people, uh, people often confuse, like they think that professional cuddling is a front for prostitution, just like they did when massage therapy became a thing. Everybody was like, it's not massage, you know, you guys are like sex workers and stuff. But um, with our particular thing, you know, like I said, with, um, with the two practitioners and one client model, it, it takes that dynamic out. But I mean, I've also had clients who came in male clients who were like, yeah, I was laying on the bed. And I was like, trying to take my thoughts into a sexual place and I couldn't do it because you were just so maternal. And so nurturing um we had we had one client that we had to fire because he got a little like he would be a little bit grabby with us and you know we after we worked with him we kind of came up with a protocol between the two of us like nonverbal communication that we were like okay you know if this is you know how we're gonna handle this in the future but as a general rule no you know it's like the 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 way that we set everything up with the ritual you know it's it's very clear that it's not going to be a sexual encounter you know it's like the person comes in and it's like wow there's these two women who are waiting on me hand and foot you know i feel like a a king you know and and these girls don't look like concubines so you know it's it's very different you know it's a very different sort of setup it feels you know that we we make it very ritualized and sacred it's not necessarily aligned with a particular religion or spirituality but having that ritual structure i think takes people into a different place yeah i have friends of mine that go to massage parlors strictly for sexual relief (laughs) yeah oh there i mean there's definitely there's a lot of massage therapists out there who, um, you know, who do happy ending massages or who do use it as a front for sex work. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there were some 
professional cuddlers who kind of skirted that edge, but yeah, that was not our jam at all. So. So your book now is, is one of the purpose of, of your book to kind of break that stigma to sort of get more of the idea that, um, you know, cuddling or touch is not necessarily a sexual thing and to help kind of fight the stigma or what is your book about? So the book is about, it's, it, it is to, to kind of break the stigma and, and get people thinking about it. But one of the biggest reasons that I wrote the book, well, there was a couple of reasons um, because I had to, you know, I was in that position of, you know, oh, all of a sudden I'm single and, you know, my, I, I was doing Karuna, so we were doing Karuna sessions at the time, but, you know, that's, I'm, I'm giving and not necessarily receiving. But one of the biggest reasons that I wrote the book was because, you know, Karuna sessions is, was priced as a luxury service and was like, you know, not everybody can afford this. And a lot of the people who need it the most can afford it the least. But also just because, you know, I noticed this, this place where, you know, if you're, if you're not in a romantic relationship, then, you know, and, and you're single, then you don't have a lot of opportunities to get touched. So I think the biggest, so the, the, what I do is, you know, the first part of the book is going through and, and talking about touch. It's talking about, you know, talking about like some of the cultural factors that keep us from sharing touch, the history, a little bit of the history of touch, um, we talk about consent and boundaries and, um, you know, different, different types of touch and, you know, giving and receiving all these different things. And then the second part of the book is basically a DIY workshop. And I think that the, the most important thing that it does is it's, it's designed to be done with a group of your friends with four people. And again, it's taking that idea like we have with Karuna sessions, you know, that when you're touching somebody and it's one person and one person, you know, that is usually how romantic or sexual encounters happen. So if you have a group of people, if you have four people doing this, then it's the touch becomes a social activity instead of a sexual activity, you know, cause you're not, you're not in a bedroom and, you know, it's, it's more like a bunch of kids playing, you know, everybody's like giggly and nervous and, you know, God, this is weird, but you know, everybody, everybody, you're with a bunch of people who are all thinking and feeling that same thing. And so the workshop part of the book takes you through a series of exercises that allows you to physically get progressively closer to the other person. So, you know, like the first exercise is just touching hands, there's, you know, foot rub, you know, maybe touching somebody's hair or their head. And, um, you know, then you get more into like the, the physically closer and, you know, you end up at the very end, it's like a one-on-one -on -one face to face hug. So, and the idea is, well, first of all, it gives you, it gives you a chance to find out, you know, oh, what kind of touch do I like, you know? And because, you know, most people like, they have, they have no idea because nobody ever asks us that, you know? So it's like, you know, you could be like, oh, wow. You know, like I really enjoyed the sensation of having both of my feet rubbed at the same time, or, you know, it feels really good when somebody like does a little scratching on my forearm or something. So it allows you 
to kind of get an idea or, you know, I like it when somebody puts their hand on my heart. So you get to play around with this and, and find out what you like and what you don't. But the other thing is that when you get done, then you have these three other people who now have a common frame of reference around this idea that touch doesn't have to be about sex. And so, you know, you could easily, you know, then you could call up somebody like one-on-one -on -one and be like, hey, you want to come over to my house tonight and we'll cuddle up on the couch and watch a movie? And they'll be like, yeah, because they know that that's what you mean, that it's not, that you're not like trying to bait and switch them or something. So it gives people a chance to, you know, because it's like most of us don't really touch our friends. You know, I mean, we, you know, it's most people, you know, you can hug hello or goodbye when you see each other, but that's, you know, let's say you go out to, you know, for happy hour once a week with your friends after work, you know, and you give them a hug, hello or goodbye. I mean, that's, that's not very much touch, you know, that's, and there's loads of physical health benefits to it. And, you know, it's like most of us, I think could probably use more free wellness practices, you know, and we don't, we don't really think about touch as a wellness practice. So it gives people a, a framework to, to get their touch needs met. It teaches them how to get their touch needs met. Yeah, I'm gonna bet that with this process, you know, with touching or that there is neurotransmitters that are released. There probably mm -hmm. is some dopamine that comes out. So. Oxytocin as well. And we're getting high then. Oh, you totally are. I mean, I've seen, like, I used to throw cuddle parties for people. And at the end of a couple hours, everybody would just be like, yeah. I mean, they all looked like they were rolling on MDMA. I mean, seriously, you know, people were just like grinning and goofy and laughing. And yeah, I mean, but they're actually, you have, you have sensors in your skin that are specifically designed to register touch. And we have, um, there's something called affective touch, which it, it's like you can read when somebody touches you, like what their intention is, you know, it's like, oh, that person's trying to be comforting or, you know, that person's trying to, you know, hurt me or whatever. So, or, you know, trying to express dominance or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, there, it, it is, it's, it's wired into our biology. Now, since you're closed, obviously, with your store or your business, mm -hmm. what are you doing now? Do a new edition of the book. I think that I need to do another chapter or a section that specifically deals with COVID because, I mean, everything that I've written before, you know, it's like people, people tend to be kind of unconscious or careless around touch. Some people are, and some people are hypersensitive about it. Um, and, you know, there, so there's always this process of, you know, kind of finding out what the other person wants and negotiating, but a lot of people don't do that. You know, it's, it, it, you know, so it's like, you know, uh, the stuff that's in the book is still going to be very relevant in a post COVID world. But I think that coming back from it, coming back from COVID, you know, to a place where we can touch each other again, um, is going to add another pretty big layer of complexity against it, you know, on top of it. And um, so there's that. And then um, 
I want to do my book about non-sexual, I want to write my book about non-sexual touch for, um, for, for couples who are in romantic relationships. And then last year, right before the pandemic hit, I was just starting to pitch a TED talk about um, using human touch to cope with climate change. And I think I'm going to change the trajectory of that a little bit. Um, and, and probably do, do it straight up about the future of human touch, you know, because one of the things I've heard the pandemic described as is the great pause, you know, where we're a lot, well, not everybody, but a lot of us are getting time to really reevaluate how we're living and what's important and what we value. And this is an area that feels very ripe for, for really rethinking it and, and doing it differently than we have been doing it. Now I'd ask you on the phone, I know you're in Texas. So for people that obviously don't live in Texas, where, where could you go and experience this type of stuff? I, there's a few other people out there, I think who do two on one cuddling, but there are lots of practitioners who are professional cuddlers. Um, there's a cuddle sanctuary in the Los Angeles area um, that does it. And they're, they're actually right now, they're offering virtual cuddling sessions where you kind of do it online without actually being present with another person. Um, there is Cuddlist, which is kind of a directory of people who've all been through the Cuddlist training and they're all over the country. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's different practitioners. Some of them are storefronts and some of them are just individuals who run businesses. Either they have a space where you would come to or um, you would go to them or they, you know, so it just depends. Um, there are cuddle parties that you can um, go to where it's a, it's kind of a group, it, it's like you go in and it's about three hours. The first hour is spent um, lear like learning how to ne negotiate boundaries and navigate boundaries. And then there's two hours where, you know, you would just walk up to another person in there and be like, hey, would you mind um, giving me a hug? And the person could say yes or no. Um, you know, you can, you can always ask your, you know, a friend or a family, you know, I'm, I'm having a really hard time. Can you give me a hug? Or, um, you know, I, when, when somebody's like telling you about a, a, an experience that they've had, that's painful, you could say, you know, it, when I'm going, you know, when I'm trying to talk about this, it's really, it feels really good to have somebody have their hand on my shoulder while I'm talking, you know, how, you know, would you like to try that? Or, you know, would you like me to hold your hand while you're talking about this? Or, you know, I mean, there's, there's lots of ways to do it that, um, you know, that it, it doesn't necessarily take a lot of touch for people to feel um, seen and included and, and um, you know, connected to another person. Um, I mean, they've done, they've done studies where, uh, what was it? There was one with a librarian where when the librarian was like checking people out, checking their books out, they would like just lightly touch the, the customer's arm. And that made a difference in how the customer perceived the interaction. Um, 
you know, like, so there's, there's, there's lots of ways to incorporate just a little bit of touch into your interactions that, um, you know, that, that, you know, obviously it's not as good as having, you know, somebody like hold you for an entire hour, but every little bit helps, especially when you don't have a lot of it. Well, hey, I want to thank you very much for coming on here. And, yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I'd like you to, if you if you want to, uh, share how people can maybe get a hold of you or information about your book and maybe your website. Yeah. Sure. Um, the website is www.nurturinghumantouch.com. Uh, and the book, Somebody Hold Me, The Single Person's Guide to Nurturing Human Touch. You can find it on uh, digitally on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, there's a paper copy of it. There's an ebook and there's also an audio book that comes with some little downloads of the parts of the book where you might have to, um, where it would be helpful to have a physical piece of paper in front of you. Um, and then, um, let's see, you can follow me on Instagram at somebody underscore hold underscore me. Um, I post images or, you know, I, I write stuff about touch as I think about it. Um, you know, whatever ideas are like floating through my mind. Um, and then there's a couple of, I have a couple of different uh, Facebook pages about, um, about the book and about Karuna sessions um, where people can find me and follow me. And I think all those links are on the website. If they're not, I need to fire my web designer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they are those. So yeah. All right. Well, great. Um, again, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation, Eric. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, hey, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of High Walk Clean. Please support our channel by uh, sub subscribing, watching, liking, um, you know, as we're trying to get messages out and ideas out to potentially help people. Um, again, thank you for tuning in and I will see you soon. Thanks. Get back your story.